Welcome to According to Flint, the innovative podcast reaching beyond the Western demographic with stories, humor, and interviews. Now, here's your host, Flint Rasmussen. That's right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the worldwide phenomenon that we call According to Flint. Today, my, I welcome my guest and honored, proud to welcome a good friend. He's a pro rodeo hall of famer. I always say the year, the 1985 rookie of the year. He's an eight-time world champion. And here's our connection, a fellow Ellensburg Rodeo Hall of Famer. That's where we connect, Joe. He is the one and only... And also, your girls are my girls. Yeah, that's right. My baby girls, my my good friend Joe Beaver. Hey, you know, Joe, I was thinking before we uh, before you connected here and we went on the air, everything we've ever done, you've been on my radio shows, my stage show in Vegas. Uh, we've been, you know, we've we've done an NFR preview show with Steve Kenyon. There's always a time limit. There's always a commercial coming up. We talk for eight or nine minutes, and then okay, we'll do it again. Hey, we could talk for an hour. Guess what? No commercials. <laughs> we could talk for an hour too. We could talk we for an hour. Do this. <laughs> and not only may we talk for an hour, we have the ability to talk for an That's hour. Right. And yeah. uh, There's so nobody's stopping you. You're the man here. See, so I can just follow you wherever you go. My name's on the sign. Right, right there. That's my name on the sign. Uh, let's get to first things first. Uh, current events here. Let's. Uh, we we talked a little before we went on air, but it, it's a it's a hard year. It's been a hard year for everybody, financially, emotionally, everything. I feel bad for my friends in Vegas. I'm uh, I'm having trouble celebrating the NFR in Texas. I'm glad the national finals rodeo is going to happen, but man, I, that Vegas, I, it, what a devastating year for that city. You know, and I'm in Texas. I'm, you know, everybody's calling me. Aren't you so happy it's there? And you know, all about Texas and that to me, Flint Vegas is NFR. NFR is Vegas. Mm-hmm. You know, the first year I made them was the first year out there. And, and I just, um, I guess I assume that when it's December, it's Vegas time. And this year with everything happening, like you said, it's not. And what a hit Vegas has taken. You know what I mean? You just stop and think about And the people I feel for, you know, let's just say the waiters, waitresses, you know, uh, housekeeping, uh, valet attendants, you know, the, the dealers. I mean, all those people that have learned to maybe strive with December coming around where it used to be a dead time mm-hmm. and a down time. And now it's a booming time for three weeks there. I, I just feel... I feel for those people as much as I do for the, you know, the casinos and the, and the airport and everything else that's involved with the rodeo. It's, it's a big hit. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's a good point. I've brought that up in the entertainment business. Uh, people look at the entertainers and the athletes when it's more the crew behind it that does all the work. But when, when I talk to you about Las Vegas with people, especially up in a place like Montana, where for the most part, the majority of people have never been. It's a faceless corporation that owns these casinos. They'll be fine. We know better. These are real people. Besides the valet, all of the people you mentioned, uh, you know, I'm close with Michael Gaughan, Ryan Grouney, everybody at the South Point. Those are real people going through this. I mean, all of them over there, you know, there's, here's what I think people forget. Yeah, they're a faceless corporation behind them maybe, but there's real people running them. Yeah. And real people are the ones that have to answer to the corporations regardless of a pandemic or whatever, you know? Yeah. Why aren't your numbers good? Why aren't you making this? Why aren't you filling? And and this year has just set all that aside like it, nothing mattered. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think it does matter. Uh, yeah, I'm like you. Am I glad it's, it's going on? I am glad. I'm glad Texas stepped up, you know, and, and moved on with it. That's great. But it's gonna um, it's gonna be a different feel. Everything not being right there like normal. Yeah, I I've seen comments. I I go through and look at. Well, I shouldn't do it, but I look at comments on social media just to get a feel. You know, keep my uh, finger on the pulse of uh, kind of what people are thinking. And I've seen people say, "Oh yeah, it's in Texas where it should be." Those are people that have never gone to it in Vegas. That's my opinion. Yeah, so, that's right. Um, and you know what? It's It's been there so many years now, 30 years or whatever, uh, Flint, 
actually, if you haven't been in 30 years, you can't appreciate the NFR anyway nowadays. <laughs> no, I think. Exactly. Because it's such a show out there, you know, it's production, it's timing, it's show. My dad, you know, my dad's been dead for since 06, 06 but mm-hmm. he wouldn't go to another rodeo after he went to the national finals for four or five years yeah. because he said that's how rodeo is supposed to be. Yeah. You know, the best, the fastest, they, it doesn't keep you there three hours. That's all he would go to. So I think the people, you know, voicing their opinions that haven't been there in 15 or 20 years, they need to go out there before they voice their opinion. Yeah. You know, you bring up a good point. That was uh, your first NFR was Las Vegas's first NFR. When you you grew up uh, kind of like I did, uh, you're older, let's just we'll just say that. But you grew up like I did where you know, we'd gather for the final night of the NFR, the one night that was on TV in Oklahoma City, the Heston telecast. When you went for the first time, was there a part of you though that went, "Man, I finally made it to the NFR?" And I don't get to go to Oklahoma City. I have to go to Vegas. I mean, it, the tables are kind of turned there, aren't they? They were, but I think I was so excited because of the money. <laughs> you know, back then, <laughs> yeah. around like 7800 or, you know, somewhere right there. And I thought that was just, a, you know, such a huge amount of money. that. And then everybody had been to Oklahoma City. And I remember a friend of mine that I amateur rodeo with a lot when, when I made him the first year. He said, you know, here's the deal. It's a new rodeo. It's a new venue. Go make it your place you're a new guy there, you know, and I was like, that kind of hit me as odd because he said, everybody, you know, there's the ghost of the winning past, they call it, you know, in Oklahoma City, go out there and make it new. And I didn't really think nothing of it, Flynn, until I topped the hill coming in, yeah, driving in, you know, and and when you get back then, when you get, you know, through Henderson, you top, there was nothing for a long ways, but you could see it was nighttime when we got there. And I remember topping the hill and just seeing all the lights and stuff, and I thought, you know what? This is in Oklahoma City, Dorothy. You better get your stuff together. <laughs> uh, that's funny. He said, "Go make it your place." And that it's funny with the, the success you had in Vegas, as much success as anybody had. Then it became the house that Joe built, Thomas and Mac. And yeah, I think uh, it was a time for both of us. You know what I mean? Yeah. They were needing to to sell it somehow, and I was needing to prove I I belonged. And I think Tallman picked it up both ways and you know how you can so eloquently just push it forward with the voice <laughs> yeah I yeah think he pushed it on <laughs> is uh will world champions this year will it have an asterisk beside it like a strike year in the nfl a strike year in the nba even though it's not the guy's fault with the number of rodeos cut down it, it, will we forget that uh, world champion 2020 is a little different standard than the rest. What do you think? Are we getting a true feel for who the world champion is? I, I mean, I know the politically correct answer is, oh yeah. yes, they you know they're great cowboys. It is different though. You know what, Flint? To this day, I still know people, and I wasn't around or anything, but I think seventy-seven or seventy-six when they crowned the world champion at the national finals. Chris, only. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think there's people that still feel that way against those. Guys. I, I hear it all the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? We hear it. And like you say, politically correct, these no, their world champions doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yes, they went to 50, 70, 80. Some guys went to the you know, max rodeos, probably close. But I think it's – and I don't think it's fair to the guys because I think the guys you're going to still have to win at the national finals. I think the money's going to be good enough where they can be, you know, still overtaken if somebody gets hot. Sure. So, so I think it's a kind of a – I think it's kind of a bad rap, but but I still think that probably some people are going to say, "Well, yeah, you know, 2020 that wasn't a, that wasn't a full year." <laughs> no, but completely. You know what I mean? It's those it's those couch quarterbacks that always call you halfway through the finals and tell you what you need to be doing to win more while they're at home watching. You know, <laughs> and I'm like, how is that problem taking calls from those people? Yeah, well. but but yeah, I think you make a good point. I'm not going to judge them different because sure. I know what that road's like. And I also going to put this out there for all those people that think this was an easy year. Um, you've never rodeoed until these young, this, this generation, you know, they had to drive from Burley, Idaho to Abilene, Texas. Yeah. They had to drive from Sykes to Missouri to, to somewhere Idaho. They didn't know how to do that. You know, they, they were calling – and go, oh, 14 hours, welcome to our world. That's what we did. 
in the early 90s, you know, late 80s, there was one good rodeo a week. Flint, there's two or three $5,000 rodeos a week nowadays, you know, or $10,000 rodeos. And back then there wasn't. So they've had to kind of grind it out and earn it. And those, you know, I was talking to Boudreaux, I saw him in the airport the other Mm -hmm. day, and he was flying back and forth and around and through. Those guys haven't done that, but they had to chase that dollar this year. Exactly. So I feel like it's a world championship earned. Yeah. Um, A couple world champions when they did. Chris Ledoux won his world championship at the NFR. Isn't that the year Donnie Gay had his streak interrupted? Butch Kirby beat him. Is that... Am I on the right track? I think so, 77 or so right there. Yeah. yeah. Ask Donnie. He could tell you for sure. <laughs> Donnie, yeah. We could call him right now. And Man, let I me tell you, I, I should have been the world champion. I came in. I came in as a world champion. It, yeah. We yeah, could I do that. I remember Gladstone, you know, won one that year. Jim Gladstone. Oh, uh-huh. And everybody talked about, you know, hey, man, it still goes back. Barry Burke said it best one time. He said, the guy that wins the most in the fourth quarter usually plays the best in the playoffs and wins the the end. So, you know, it still goes down the national finals. I, I don't care if, you know, what the rounds are going to pay this year. I sure hope they pay close. I think they're working to try to get it to close to the same. But you let a guy get hot. You let Casey Field go in there or Tim O'Connell and, and win seven rounds or six rounds, and guess what they're probably still going to be for yeah. a chance. Yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking of the NFR, as long as we're on that topic, you've become you've become like a staple of the telecast at the NFR, and assuming you're still, yeah, you, yeah. yeah. Um, that is, you know, I, here's what I feel. I started, you know, hosting the buckle ceremonies after the rodeo every night with Randy Corley. I, I would, you know, I'd either go to the rodeo a few nights or watch it closed circuit. Mm-hmm. And what I started doing, just so you know, the last couple of years is going to my room because it, it was on a network that I could get in a, my hotel room. Right. I started watching the actual telecast and people say, wouldn't you rather go and watch? Wouldn't you rather watch it closed circuit like you're being there? I said, no, because I have to interview the winners every night. And I learn more from Joe Beaver to interview <laughs> them. There's just a lot of aspects. And I think that's what you've brought is... Who changed horses? Whose horse isn't working? So they're now they're on the gray horse. This is a gray horse that we saw him ride this horse in Abilene. Uh, this pen of calves does it. That's fun, and I'm sure you get feedback to bring that to the people. You know I do, and, and you know I thank Jeff Metters for bringing me in a long time ago on this, and and I, I think some of the best advice that I ever had was a, a lady that was probably 80 years old. You know, right after the first time I did it, maybe the first year or two, she said, you know, I enjoy watching it now because you bring the insight that nobody wants to say. And I was like, well, no, no, nobody knows it. She said, yes, they do, but they just don't want to say it. And, you know, I catch some flack about maybe talking about, well, this guy's horse is not running by and getting his feet on the ground. That's why he's four instead of three. But it's I'm just telling people what they actually see. You know, but I'm, I'm letting them know that they're, they're understanding it. My dad told me years ago, he said, you know what you're watching, but if you can't bring some fun and some insight, some entertainment into what the people are actually seeing, they're not going to lock on to those events. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think I try to do. And I'm lucky too, Flint, because, you know, a lot of these guys are younger that I didn't compete with, but some been to my clinics or I've seen them at the high school finals or I've, you know, wrote with their parents or whatever. So I get to stay around the young guys like John Douch and Kobe Douch yeah. and I see Weston and, you know, uh, Ike Fontenot and Youngblood and all those guys tough. I've seen him grow up and Shad. So, and in a team roping, you know, all the guys that are the older guys, I roped with some of those. And I think it brings a little bit of a, personalized opinion is all it is maybe sure but it's more entertaining on one side but it's more informative on the other so i want to be informative but i want to keep it fun there's different standards in western sports uh, in in rodeo that's our background if you watch an nfl game a guy drops a pass and the commentator the the analyst usually a former player is is the color commentary like yourself um they'll say if you're a pro you got to make that catch that's con- that, that's just what they do on TV yeah. with other pro sport basketball. Yeah, you got to make that shot. <laughs> For some reason, when we do that in rodeo, there's a different standard of rodeo. Um, 
I have an old saying, uh, cowboys want to be want to be treated like professional athletes until they get treated like professional athletes. Right. It's right. why is that in this sport? You, all you're doing is is talking about what's going on in front of you, which sportscasters mm-hmm. should do. Why is our standard so different? Why can't we? Hey, at the NFR in Vegas, guys riding for twenty seven grand a round. Why can't we criticize them? Why is our standard different? And I think that's what you know. Me being me, I really don't care. You know, yeah, exactly. Like I see it. You know, and and like I said, I get some you know calls from guys. Hey man, back off. You know, well, you know, change horses. And it'll be better. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to back yeah. off if yeah. I see it. You know, and and I've done the thing about it is I've done all three events out there, mm-hmm. and and the, and the hardest event for me to call because. Um, it's not because I haven't done it because I get to see it right close and personal where I'm at usually is the barrel race because it's a fine line of what I, you know, could get away with saying the reason that horse did not turn and the reason I can't, I, I'm not going to blame it on a good horse that I've seen work everywhere when he can't hold the ground. Do I get some, you know, from a higher powers? I get a little bit come back from the higher powers sometimes, but also I'm not going to have that girl corner me in a parking lot and, you know, tell me hey you know why that didn't that my horse went down or slipped or hit the barrel so i've got to be a fine line there the other three events i've been there i've done all three i haven't bowled up steer wrestle but i've hazed hazing is the hardest event in the national finals at the time you've been in because you that is the most thankless job in america it's like a pickup man you never get called out until you miss a haze or drop somebody you know or run over him yeah. on the ground never yeah. notice them until it yeah never notice until then yeah. so I think that helps me because if I call them out, you know, when they've missed one, you know, I roped the leg to win. I've done been in that position with guys. So I know what it feels like, but I also know you have to capitalize. You know, this isn't, and I tell you, you've heard me tell them at my clinics, you know, I give prize of buckles, Jack, we have matches, but I don't give you anything. This isn't the, you know, youth soccer league where if you can run down the field and you don't fall down, I'm going to give you a trophy. That's not our, our sport. Our sport is you win, you get paid, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that lets me maybe um, have a little more insight to, to be able to call it like I see it. But uh, some of the guys still don't like it. But you know what? When you're at this level, and I've done it to myself, and I used to tell them all the time, when you ride out of the arena, you've got about 10 minutes. Yeah. It takes about 10 minutes for a reporter to find you. If you've done really good, they, they, don't, they won't find you. If you mess up and cost yourself a gold buckle – or a big go around win, they'll find you before you can get over being upset. <laughs> you know, so that point of it is you got to get past it. I understand. But also when I, and I've missed one in there for a gold buckle, you know, I can call them when they go left and somebody's I, misses one. Marty missed one a couple years ago. I said, yeah, I know how you feel. I've done it, but we have to catch. I think we're just a little more maybe uh, self-protective of our, our event, but it's no different than, the man that makes a hundred free throws and misses that one to win the playoff game. You can't miss a horse out there. You can't slap a bull and you can't miss a a steer if you want to be a champion. Yeah. Uh, the, the great thing. And for people listening who don't maybe know you're not in a studio, you're not on the set at the NFR. You're, I think your spot where you get to stand right by the timed event shoot. I, I mean, you're when a guy's backed in the box, you could reach out and touch. You could reach yeah. out and slap him on the leg. There are times that arena isn't always noisy, and you're. I always find it interesting. Listen, you know this guy. He he should have been doing better. He should have switched horses a long time ago. And I can just see this guy back in the box and look over and say, "Screw you, Beaver." You <laughs> do they? <laughs> as as anybody, do they ever say? I hope it's backed in the box and I could hear what you were saying. Yeah, it's funny. A lot of times I'll come back after opening back around and want to talk. Well, I got my headphones on. I'm trying to call it, you know, and they'll be pulling me back and pull my headphone away so they can hear, I can hear them. And, and it's kind of funny. I think um, the guys that, that, that are fierce competitors and winners, like the Ryan Jarrett's, mm-hmm. you know, the ha- Haven Medgets, the ones I've known forever, you know, I think every now and then it's kind of a – I know when I backed in there I could always hear Bob Tallman. I don't care who else was in the arena. Yeah. You know, I could hear, but Tallman would talk to you. Tallman would talk to me. And then when I backed up in there, a lot of times I had years and years ago, like Mike Smith and Steve Duhon and sure. Gary Green. 
actually hear them and, and it made me snap to it. So I think sometimes they do hear me. I think sometimes I want them to hear me because I, I think it's, it's a little bit of a brain boom to change you, to get you thinking, you know, um, if it bothers them, they'll tell me, you know, and if it bothers them and I'm calling it like I see it, I really don't care because, <laughs> people out there, you know, watching want to know, you know, why is he not, why is he so long in the box? You know, why is he late? Well, he's picking up when he nods. So the next time he comes in, I say, you know, well, this guy last time, you know, he picked up right when he nodded and he was late on a good kid. He should have won. Well, maybe that just sparks you a little bit. Hey man, don't pick up this time. You know? So yeah. I don't know. Imagine some of them probably, there's a very few that maybe like it. There's some that accept it and there's probably some that hate it, but you know, I'm, I'm trying to bring, I'm trying to bring an understanding of the event at hand to the people that are watching it that aren't you and I. It's funny. I, I'm just thinking as you're talking, you say, Bob Tallman always talked to me. Never thought of that. That's a unique thing about Tallman. You know, when you say that, come on, cowboy, you need to, he does address you guys, I, yeah. I never thought about that. That's it, that no, you notice that, yeah. The, he sells it to the crowd, but he also personalized it always. And Boyd was good about it. Yeah, they personalized what they were selling to the crowd through you, and you knew that if he was talking about it. And there was a lot of criticism he got for this. He really did it back because they were like, "Well, you got to quit doing that. You're helping that guy." No, you're not. No, you're selling it to the crowd. But if that guy's smart enough to listen. And here you don't put that off on the, you know, announcers. I just always knew that when they were selling me, if I was winning a lot, he was going to talk good about what I was doing and I was going to get pumped up. I went one summer, Flint, and I tell people this all the time. I ran either 30 or 32 head of calves. I never want to check. That's a lot of calves in July and August. That's plane, trains, automobiles, you know. I was about ready just to, you know, start throwing it left-handed and, and closing my eyes. You know, it was just terrible. And I remember just fighting through it, fighting through it, fighting through it, you know. And it all turned around on one one, one run, and then I won everything. Well, I remember getting to San Francisco that year, and Tallman, you know, was doing the cow palace last one of the year. And I'm riding in the short go, and I thought, you know, I bought, came from, you know, 30th to 5th or 6th, whatever, in two months. And he's like, yeah. Should have seen this guy back in the summer. You know, never thought he'd be at the short go at the cow palace. And I remember thinking, gosh, dang, but he was right. Now I fall back and where I'm supposed to be, you know. So yeah. I don't know. I just I hope it helps a little bit. Yeah. Um, man, you know, you look back at the the NFR in your era, not so much 85. Uh, you can help me here. When you get to the early 90s, I remember being at the NFR. The first time I went and watched the NFR was December of 1990 and went a couple of years after that. And people, the calf roping would start, honestly, and people would go pee. Yeah, there yeah. was a time. About 92, 91 or two, though, yeah. it turned around. That, what an era of the biggest stars at the NFR. And the funnest event to watch. Remember, it got to where, man, here we go calf roping some of those guys it was you and fred uh who Steve are some fred, of those Cody, blair burt brent lewis you know sean mcmullen jeff chapman uh bud ford i mean there was you know just uh there was just a pile of us right there in that era that um troy pruitt you oh, know yeah, troy, they, yeah yeah Ray, raven you know those guys didn't didn't go a lot right after they won raven chris but it was almost like and, you know, me and Brent, Brent Lewis and I were talking about the other day, not taking nothing away from anymore at all. Don't get me wrong. Those, those guys, it's turned into a, a speed contest, mm -hmm. you know, where the, the calves are, you know, good and it's uh, supposed to be fast. And it is. And they've learned they've learned how to really time fast and control it. Mm -hmm. But when you made your run back then, they you know, you ride out and there's a the victory lap horse right there and they tell you you know if you're winning get off and get your stirrup set you know we wouldn't even touch that victory lap horse <laughs> because you knew that it didn't matter out of that 15 there was 10 guys that that were just as as dominant and capable as you on any calf in there except the ones that you know kicked or whatever so and i remember the one of the last years i went in the last go around i was seven flat or seven one or whatever so i ride out and they tell me hey and there was one, there was three guys left. And I got off my horse. And 
and Cody hadn't roped. And I just stepped back. And they said, hey, get ready. You're going to have to. I said, listen, Cody owes the last roper. But he's winning the world. He doesn't have, he's just got to tie one down to play an average. Blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? And I told the guy, I turned around and said, listen, no offense, but I'm not getting on and have to get off and take the stirrups off for that little guy. You know, because he's the last <laughs> roper. And he was 6'7 or 6'8 or whatever, you know. So we just knew in that era there for about, what, 92 to 04, you know, really. Right. It was, it just, it dominated. It dom. I'm not saying the event. It that crew dominated tie down roping and propelled it to where now it's just, it's you know one of the I think it's one of the probably three most uh, three most holding events at the NFR you know yeah and I throw I throw the saddle bronc ride in the barrel race in with that you know yeah. I really do because the saddle bronc ride and I think those guys have done such a good job of either be you know the horse horsepower now and I say those guys stock contractors right they you know. They have the power now to book you off in the bronc riding at any given moment. And used to be, it wasn't, you know, eliminators and TV pin and other ones that was get by. Now, every night, you know, I know I, st- I sit up, I stand over that gate and I watch. I want to <laughs> see the bronc ride, you know. So, yeah, tie down rope. And I think that time, you're right, 92 to about 04, yeah. just five just kicked it up and made it huge, you know. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm such a bulldogging fan. Here, I'm a, oh, yeah, me too. a I'm a little guy, and I think the steer wrestling it comes right after the second event. Mm-hmm. Man, I love the steer wrestling. For one, you got to admit, uh, bulldoggers they're they're like horses. The bigger they are, the nicer they are. Yeah, That's it. <laughs> bulldoggers are just kind of always there for each other. It, it seems I, I like all the time, honest. They're the they're the. I think they're honestly. The most brotherhood caring mm-hmm. group of contestants in any event. You know, they actually care when they tell you something. I'm yeah. not sure all the other events are like that. <laughs> but those with the steer wrestlers, they really are. You know, and there were the days, I like it in that building so much because it's so um, any tiny mistake and you're, you're screwed in that arena. You know, if you right, miss the right. barrier, any, you won't get by one. If you leave too early, you're going to, you know, when it wants to stop, stop or stop, you know, any mistake in that arena shows like, you know, just a big white spot at a black night. You know what I mean? Yeah. A big black spot over the sun. Everybody sees it right then. So that's what intrigues me with the steer wrestling in the Thomas and Matt. Yeah. Yeah. I, and plus, uh, being a guy my size, I like to have the bulldoggers on my side when we're out in public. If something goes down. (laughs) There was a time when all the big guys weren't always that friendly. That that era that I came in with, you know, uh, they were friendly until, you know, but they were friendly until, and and I had a lot of fun with those guys. You know I mean? I probably instigated a lot and they they finished it, but we had a lot of fun. You did that? That's (laughs) hard to believe. Hard to believe. Talking the other day, Mike Smith, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and, That's who popped into my head, Mike Smith. You, yeah. you know, the, the hurricane just devastated, you know, Jeff Corbello, Mike Smith, mm-hmm. time of Potato Font, no, uh, John, all those went through just hell, you know. So, anyway, I mean, we've been talking and visiting stuff, and Mike was talking about how they got all this, you know, stuff out and left before the hurricane hit. And honestly, Flint looks like he dropped a bomb on his place, mm-hmm. you know. So, we were, I was trying to make, you know, get some fun the other day laughing i said hey did you get that main trophy that we won together and he was a little silent he was thinking you know we we ain't won anything and he said you mean i'm a world champion stuff i got all of it out i told you i said no i said did you get that arm wrestling trophy from new mexico he went to laugh and he said i didn't even think about that you know we were in a bar one night in new mexico and they were having the state arm wrestling championship and I said, can anybody enter? And they looked at me and they're like, well, sure. I said, good. I put Mike Smith down. And he won the thing. And we had to get out. We had to get escorted. The bar owners put us in a van and took us the delivery van and took us out the back to our hotel because they all wanted to kill us for entering that guy. You know, that's that's the, you know, that's the power those guys had. Yeah. And and the nice streak in them, the fun. But, you know, those times like that. That's the stuff that made rodeo with the big the big guys fun. Yeah, um, I want to touch on the clinics you do, but the kids you deal with. But when you were, you know, the kids you you could see a lot of kids from whatever eight years old to 
guys who want to rope better. Um, and what about when you, you know, when you were small, when you were 11, 12 years old, who was the guy that you looked at and said, I want to rope like that guy? Bam. There was two guys. There was two guys in, in South Texas. You know, and that's where I was. I didn't see any. You know, I didn't. I went to the slacks with my dad when I was real young. My dad braided uh, picking strings, oh, nylon okay. picking strings for the tie-down ropers. And he would take an arm load to San Antonio, and that's how I met Barry Burt, you know, and the, the guys like that. But I didn't know it. I didn't see anybody. But there was two guys, Bubba Kendricks and Mark Dearman, and they were in South Texas. And both mm-hmm. of them should have made the national finals as many times as they wanted. Um, Bubba Kendricks had the ability to use a long rope like nobody I've ever seen to this day. He's 76 years old. He's right down the road from me. Uh, matter of fact, I'm going to take him to lunch tomorrow because I want him to come watch a horse go. Uh-huh. He, he flint until he was 56 years old. He made a living amateur rodeoing down here. It's not easy amateur rodeoing. No, here. no. He, catch him. he roped him in ones. So he had time to flank and tie. Mark Dearman was the best guy to this day, maybe, besides Larry Robinson with his string mm-hmm. that I've ever seen flanking in time. Mark Dearman was a beast when his foot hit the ground. He was a lot like Weston Hughes is now. Weston Hughes yeah. is a beast when his foot hits the ground. Yeah, I, wa- I watched a run of his last night, actually, and it was, amazing. And I've for years, when he learned to use the tip of his loop and, and rope the necks instead of throwing the, uh, uh, just a, a brick loop hard, you know, mm-hmm. he would make the national finals from now on. Did you see his loop last night, how pretty it was, and his curl? Mm-hmm. Because he's a beast on the ground. Mark yeah. Dearman is who my dad and I tried to copy from the time my foot hit the stirrup, and Bubba Kendricks is the guy I tried to copy mm-hmm. from the time I nodded till I caught. Huh. They were just they were just unbelievable, man. They were they were they were unbeatable down here, you know? Right. And, and you know, when I first cracked out amateur, Jim Fuller made national finals two or three times, you know. Jim Fuller, Bubba Kendricks, uh, Mark Dearman. Um, uh, Jimmy Hodge was down here then. Sylvester was down here quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, you learned from the guys that you knew once you got to the big show, they should have been there all they wanted. Yeah. Silver made it a couple times, don't get me wrong. Right, But, right. like, Jimmy and Bubba and Mark and all those, they should have been there. You know, you realize, hey, you know what? The guys I were be- I was beating and competing with, they were just, just as tough as these guys here. And I really think that's what helped me um, – go into the, you know, PRCA at 19 and thought it was just another, you know, just another day because I didn't yeah. know any different. Yeah, you know, exactly. Tom Walkers and, and the guys up there, I just, I was so used to that kind of, that level of competition. Yeah, it was a little different when you threw, you know, Raymond and Roy and John and, you know, Dave and, and all those guys in. And and um, uh, it was Mike McLaughlin. And, but it was, it was no different competition-wise because I had been with the best. And I tried to copy those two. Um, you put on clinics, breakaway ropers for the girls, mm-hmm. calf roping schools for the boys. You know what always impresses me? Not to get into the too much of the technicalities of a clinic, but for one, the biggest thing, I, I it, the way I deal in my life and the way I kind of judge people – I guess I, I judge the quality of your clinics by the way you follow up after. That's the biggest compliment I could give you. I've never seen anything. You'll be walking in Cowboy Christmas, and some obscure teenage 17-year-old girl comes up, and you say, hey, baby girl, and give her a hug. How you been roping in Missouri? You really keep up with those kids. That means more to them than learning to rope good. You know, I think, Flint, that's the reward part for me. Mm-hmm. because, you know, it's like I got videos last night from some girls in Idaho, you know, and why, and one from Washington. You know, why is this not working? What am I doing? Well, if I didn't really care, I shouldn't have been there the first time. You know what I mean? If I'm just doing them to get your money, I'm not doing the clinics the right way. Right. You know, my dad told me years ago at a clinic, he said, let me tell you something. Two things. So what's that? He said, first of all, know who you're talking to. And second of all, you remember how they wrote because at some point they're going to call you wanting some help and not want to come back to you or don't have time or grow up. So the fun part of me is when I see them, you know, and when when they actually send video, I tell them, if you'll send me a video or text me, I'll get back with you probably. It might not be tomorrow. I'll get back with you because that means they actually know that I care enough. 
care to know that I'll come help again. And that's the reward for me. That that's kind of what it was all about. You know, the winning's all great. Don't get me wrong. And, and we all strive to be the best we can be and win all we can be. And like you, you hit the, 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 you hit the pinnacle of your business. You know, you, you, the PBR, when you walked in that, in the, you know, you're being ring of honor, probably, you know, of a, of a, not a bull rider, but that's where you're at. But the reward is what you did on the way there. Mm-hmm. And my reward is the kids that let me still help or let me still be involved. You know, even the, the guys are, you know, make, I've had guys, you know, make the finals or making the finals been in my clinics. That's how long I've been around, you know, <laughs> but it's the same. That guy means the same to me is that little girl that sends me a video from little bitches front, little britches finals or calls me from the high school finals crying because it didn't work the first time. Well, let's fix it for the second time. You know, yeah. that's my reward. I think is what you see. I've, I've, I've been to the little britches finals and the little bitches finals. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's my show. It's my show. Um, well, I, I know, it, you know, and you know this, my daughter Shelby's 21. She's a senior in college, Montana state. Yeah. We took, I took her to Livingston, Montana in that cold barn it was the wind was howling through the seams and she was seventh grade I think and she wanted to rope and as you said that uh at one time we just hoped the roping gods would run a calf through her loop we fought it but we got it (laughs) and they just every time you're around they just her end page they just keep going to your clinics when they can but uh I, I think the thing I miss about coaching is it's not so much like teaching. You can see results right away. You see the results. And just like with Shelby, I, I think she's as good a roper as in college rodeo. You know, she battles things like everybody else. But, man, that's good to see. I, I just, to see the results, I know, in me when I was coaching, that's see, great. That, okay, times that times uh, 200. Yeah. You know, that's what I get out of the deal. Or like in my junior ropings, you know, you know, I'll I be trying to, do stuff and the kid will stop me you know here watch him joe tell me what you, you know well that was my kid from somewhere so you know you you got a choice to make that rope is going to make go ahead and make it's going to go it may have a hitch you're going to fix but that kid right there that might be the difference of making them stay hooked or not you know so you stop if you care you stop and watch that video mm-hmm. and you tell them your best opinion you know you may have a five seconds to think but if i watch it give an honest opinion then i've done what i'm supposed to do yeah. and you know just like your girls I can see them anywhere and they've changed so much. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what you have to watch. You know, boys will change and you can kind of recognize them, you know, all the time. But girls, when they come to my school, they'll have their hair tied back, you know, or they may have no makeup on, you know, that day or whatever. But as they, they get older and they change, you've got to look from their eyes and their cheekbones up. Usually it'll stay the same, you know, but they'll have mm. a hat on. Or they'll have their hair different. And man, you'll have to think, who, but if you, if you bond with them, you'll recognize them. Yeah, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Well, if, for anybody listening, if there's a Joe Beaver clinic anywhere near, I tell people all the time that not everybody can teach. Uh, there's greats out there that, that can't teach, but you, uh, I love your clinics. I, I've sat in on a few of them, and I love it. But uh, yeah, we've had, we have good times at them. We had a good uh, oh, yeah. time. You had a good time. You know, the first time you were there, in and out, going to be busy, and then the next time you stayed longer. Yeah. So you know, Shelvin, I was like, okay, now you really got to rope good because he's staying. There. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here, a good topic that I thought of. recently uh, on this podcast, we had JB Mooney, and a, oh, one of my favorites. Oh yeah, and and you favorites. can relate. Um, a popular topic with JB and with me, with fans trying to explain, there are certain guys who hate to lose more than other guys. As JB said, I think on this podcast, show me a good loser and I'll show you a loser. Uh, you have told me stories. Tough Edeman was... He hated losing. They're oh, just what they're. Like yeah, yeah. So you would, uh, you know, I remember you at the NFR, and you you go back twenty five years, and the fact that any Cowboys either way showed emotion, celebrating or being pissed, crowds didn't like it. I remember my uncle, that Joe Beaver. He 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 won't get the time he wants, and he kind of uh, and throws a little fit. Hates to lose. There's nothing wrong with hating to lose. No, and here's my deal. I always told him. It's not against anything but me. That's right. You know, the time I messed up, I 
people let my family down. You know, I wrote for a living. I wrote for money. Uh, we didn't, we, a lot of, and I think a lot of guys now, and I'm not saying it's different, but we wrote for survival and to have something, you know, put up. I think now a lot of guys wrote for uh, headlines. They, you know, wrote for first or nothing, first or nothing. Well, we wrote for money. And I think when, when I would mess up, it was against, it was an end, I turned it internally. Like, hey, you dumbass, can you not make a, you know, why did you do that? I remember one year I run, I break, I break the barrier in the eighth or ninth round. All I had to do, Flint, I had caught him. I had caught up. I had. I was winning second the average. It was a done deal. Don't break the barrier. Don't miss. You win another gold buckle. But I had the best calf on him, and it paid ten thousand, thirteen thousand, whatever it paid. You know, I break the barrier to win the round. You know, I get back on my horse, and I'm just, and everybody's like, I said, believe me, you didn't want to see what I was telling myself. Yeah. You know, because I, you couldn't believe how stupid I was. So, I think, I think once people kind of realized that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it was a John McEnroe, you know what I mean? Fit, it, you know, but it was turned internally. People understood it, but I didn't really care if they did or not because that was all about me. My competitive level, as much as I, like Fred said one time, as much as we practice, as much as we prepare, as much as we're ready, when we mess up, we've let ourselves down. Yeah. And I think that was how tough was I was. Um, there was a couple bareback riders like that back in the day, you know. <laughs> there was a couple saddle mark riders. I won't name names because, you know, they were. But, but you know, a JB is like that. And another thing I think is so special about JB and what I hope for him. Um, I remember people telling me, you know, Every, uh, every time, you know, and I had a lot of injuries for a time vet guy, but I, I, I sacrificed my body from the time I was 16 years old. You know, I, I, I ran too many practice calves. You know, I, I roped too big a calves, you know, all that, whatever that people say. But every time I came back from an injury, it was self-satisfaction to show I could come back. Right. I, I, I could show you, I hey, I've been hurt. I'm still back beating you. Yeah. And that's what I think people judge JB need to leave it alone. They don't know how hurt you are when you're sucking it up and you're tough and you're competing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I wore braces under my jeans because I didn't want people to see I had two braces on both tore up knees because that was a weakness. You know, yeah. I don't want you to see why I'm weak here. You know, we, you know, I had injections. I've injected everything you could inject when it was hurt to keep competing. And JB is like that in that board. You know, when you say dirty, tough, he's dirty, tough. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and for me, and we talked about this on the phone the other day. I asked him, you know, he healed. You know, we were just talking. He was hauling the fighting bulls. And, and I said, he healed. Yeah, I'm good. I, I would love for him to have that one year. Me too. Where he comes back and just sticks it on. Then he can say, like I did, I've had enough. See y'all if yeah. he wants to. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I remember, you know, clearly, clearly the last one I ran in a tie-down roping. You know, I remember stepping across him at Pinocchio. And, and I had Kef down to win the go-around. I couldn't cross the legs. My hip just stayed out here, you know, and I thought, come on, leg. I couldn't make my leg cross. So when I got up, I handed my horse back to Chad Johnson. I borrowed his horse that day. Yeah. And he said, leave the stirrups down. You'll go first tonight. I said, no, I'm done. I'm going home. I'm done. Huh. He said, no, no, you'll be. I said, no, I'm never going to know. You know, and I didn't run another tie-down Kef in the pro rodeos ever. You know, the only, the next thing I ran was when I roped at the American, yeah. you know, that, you know, that invite thing. But I mean, I knew I was done, but I had proved myself enough that I had self-satisfaction, but that goes back to that, that guy that hates to lose Flint. You yeah. know, I wanted to go out on my terms, not on everybody else's because they thought I needed to. So therefore winning was the same way. Tove Hedeman and I, you know, <laughs> I would go, I would watch him ride bulls and I'd pull oh. ropes for guys. You know, I wanted to see that competitive grit before I, you know, if I was up in the slack, I'd go watch him before I went. You know that? If I J.B. Mooney would have been in there back then, I'd have gone, I wouldn't have watched him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, before, I, you know, we'll wrap it up a little, but one thing that's I try to bring up with people, but it's a hard topic because you don't want to sound feeling sorry for yourself and a, a tough topic to talk about. But I think one of the hardest things I've discovered, and I know you can relate some things you've been through in your life, people you've lost. I think living a public life, I've discovered something that no matter how much you're in front of people, you still have a personal life that's not always going good. Oh. And when we step out to put a clinic, on, like you have things happen to you, go to a clinic, 
he got to embrace people and smile. It, it uh, it's not a regular job. That, that's a hard. Um, it can wear on a guy. I don't know how else to lead you to kind of talk about that, but you've been through some stuff through your professional professional life that had to do with you personally that you almost have to cover up once in a while. Yeah, you know, and, and I decided early on, you know, hey, if you want to judge me, you're going to have an open book to look at. You know what I mean? You know, it's just like when I OD'd. I OD'd in February of, of 1991. You know, I mean, I had a drug problem, man. I roped hurt. And easiest way to rope hurt is not feel nothing, you know. And I, I remember, I remember, you know, battling and going and get, getting on it, getting off, getting on it, getting off. And I remember um, I went to Lee Ferris, a good friend of mine, made the national finals in the 60s, you know, has golf course in California. And I went out there in the spring of 90 and I said, hey, Lee, I got, you know, I, I've, I've got no money. I've spent it all. My talents went to, you know, um, out of shape. I don't know what to do. He said, I tell you what, do you come out here and buy you 10 kids? You get away from everybody. Let's see what we can do. You know, that's what friends do. You know, he got me through it. Man, I got got off, got straightened up, got in shape, rope practiced all spring in California. Had a great year that year. You know, my uh, Jenna comes, she's pregnant. We get married uh, at Reno that year. Got things turned around, going good, you know, rolling. One week later, you know, two of my best friends that actually were living with me at the time. We were off rodeoing all summer, but their stuff was in my house in Huntsville. You killed in a plane crash. You know, David Bowen, Randy Deerham, along with Dave Smith and Mike Kern. Mike Kern, yeah. Those two are my guys. You know, all of a sudden I got things turned around going my direction. I'm thinking, and boom, you know, so the easiest way to me to deal with is get away from it again, you know? So there I am right back to where I started and I fight it all fall. You know, Brody's born in, no, in November the 20th, but that year, man, I'm needing to win. You know, I'm struggling. I got a, a wife. I've got a baby coming. I've lost my friends, you know. I mean, I, when, you have to, when you have to clean your friends' closets out mm-hmm. in your house and you have to pallbearer uh, for, you know, five days apart from David Bowen, Randy Dearlam, and I, 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 I'd been friends, tight friends since we were 10. 10, 11 years old. You know, that were like my brothers. I don't have brothers. But Mike Arnold and those, and those two were like brothers, you know. So I get all that handle. I go to Angelo to rope the big match. Woo, big money. You know, they guarantee us ten or 15000 whatever it was back then to rope. I tear my knee up on the last kef. All I got to do is time in 20 to win the match. I need that 10000 like, you know, you can't imagine back then. I tear my knee up. I drag over there and knock the kef down time. I'm 25. I don't win. I have surgery two weeks later. So the national finals is in two weeks. You know, I got a baby boy November the 20th. I got the finals starting the third. My knee's big as a watermelon. I go try to rope. I to eat every pain pill I can. I get back on the powder. I try everything in the world. You know, nothing's working. So come around February that year, I OD. Well, guess what? When you're dead for five minutes or three minutes and whatever, that's too long. You're not supposed to rebound, you know? I sat and had a conversation just like you and I with the people I had lost, you know, it brings reality back. But the minute I came back, I realized, okay, guess what? The only thing good about this, is maybe it can help somebody else. So don't hide this. Don't stay behind it. Don't be scared of it. My dad years ago said, when well, you make a decision, it's yours. Live with it. That was my decision that got me in all that. So ever since then, you know, I never hid it. I've always – you know, went to people I thought I could help. If they needed help, they come to me. So it's a public life that we put ourselves in. But people have no idea, Flint, how uh, how the outside world judges you by looking into your life until you're in the public. You yeah, know, yeah. then rock on. You know, I go back to winning. Everybody loves you, but they always know. You know, the goods and the bads. You know, and then I've I've been in just as good a situation as you could be for years. And then I lose Brody, lose my son, and we bury him the first September. Well, guess what? The tour finale's coming up. You got to go do it. The NFR is coming up. You got to go do it. That's what you're talking about. It's so hard to throw yourself out there in the public, and you can't let the baggage come with you at that moment. You got to do your show. You got to be open, but you always are open for the for the for the public once you become somebody. But you and I fought our whole lives become somebody so that's part of it 
Yeah. Part of. It's, it can be exhausting. I know that. Yeah, I mean, there's when you pour all your uh, try to pour every bit of positive emotion into what you're doing, it's uh, it it's it's draining. And I watch you at those clinics and uh, and on 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 on. I know you go home, put your feet up, and go. <laughs> I know that. I know that. Um, before I let you go, I do want to say um, I got I got asked. You know, before we went on the air today, the guys that helped me, they say, and, and now I know you and Joe, you talk, how good of friends are you? And, and people will ask that about certain people. And I said, Joe and I are good friends. And I hope I, I hope that's okay that I no, said that. But we talked about this on your show one time, if you remember three, four years ago, you know, the thing that's neat about a friend is a friend knows the ins and outs of you. And I tell my boys this, I tell Kobe this all the time, you know, I've told John, the, a friend knows you in and out. A friend is a guy you can use when you need him. And a friend's a guy that'll come help you when you don't think nobody else will. Okay. If you put all that together, that goes back for us now about how old is Shelby? 21. So okay, put, put that, put 10 years before 10 years, then put five years before that or more when Brody was real and Brody had to do the dead chicken flop because he thought that was the coolest thing he'd ever seen <laughs> from Flint in the arena. You know what I mean? So uh... Yeah. Uh, you're, you are my friend and a guy has about 10 in life, you know, 15, if he's lucky, uh, for as many people as we know, but yeah, I always, always look forward to doing the show with you and, you know, I always look forward to my girls. I get texts from them every now and then when I just drop a line to check on them, but yeah. yeah and, and the thing about it is, you know, I remember when you were catching so much flack, you know, for leaving and going to the PBR and not being able to work any more rodeos and NFR people were talking all there, you know, and I stopped one guy one time and I said, listen, I said, before you judge what he's doing, do you know why he's doing it? Well, yeah, he's going to be, he thinks he's big time. I said, no, 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 no. He's doing it because there's a chance to take care of his family money-wise a good way. There's a, there's a guaranteed stability job. He gets to be home when he wants, and it's the best that you can be in that world. And if he started out, you know, 20 years ago, thinking he was going to work the amateur finals and be happy, he should have never picked being That's a right. barrel that's right. You know, so, so, so yeah, stuck, hey, you're stuck with me. You're my friend. I know, you, I know. No. Dang it. Anyway, um, well, let's uh, you know plan on me like always at the NFR outside the barrel at the show, and we always have a good couple segments. Yeah, I, on know, there. I always try to get you on my show at night, but you're busy doing a bunch. Then of I, I know that's I, you it. Know, you know, can't, can't do it, but I'd love to have you one time on there so we can I, talk other stuff besides you know. I know. And I seen seventy six that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I know. Well, and thank you for all the, the way you treat my girls. Um, man, they love Joe. Nobody hey, taught my them. girls to rope like you did. I tell them, you know, once they're in my school, I say, hey, man, once you're mine, you're always mine, unless you don't want to be. So, you know, I got I got them older than that, calling and, and needing help more than changing open up, you know. And, like, you know, and I tell everybody, they'll, they'll, you know, here's the thing I think about people, too, Flint. We all want to be the best we can be, right? Mm -hmm. We strive for that but it's not going to always be easy. And when it's not easy, that's when you need your friends or people that actually care. Yep. That's right. Well, that's a good way to end it. I appreciate it. Listen, it was nice to chat with you without commercials, without somebody yeah, telling me to wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Joe, uh, I appreciate it. Thanks for taking the yep. time today. Joe Beaver, everybody, eight-time world champion right here, uh, uh, contributing to my life, according to Flint. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> See you, <laughs> Oh, 